0: I want to dedicate um, the learning tonight as a uh, merit for Rofu Shleima for a complete um, healing for my, my father in law Moshe Baruch and who just um, had a heart attack. Actually, you know, um, he was in the he was actually in the airport, which is very good because if he would have been in the car, it would not have been so good. And they they actually did have to um, use a defibrillator, but they got him back up, and he's talking already. Is in the hospital, uh, so it should be uh, as a merit for a complete refuah, complete healing for Moshe Baruch Huptah. Hatsalah guy, right? Are you guys familiar with what Hatzala yeah. is? Yes. No. So Hatzala Hatsala means to rescue, and it's a volunteer organization. It was started, the first Hatzala it was all volunteer paramedics and uh, EMTs. Um, in It started in New York City at a time when 911 uh, was a 45-minute wait. So they basically decided, you know, this is not, well, and they started having volunteer organizations. They started with one truck, um, you know, one, one ambulance. And at this point there's in any large Orthodox Jewish community, there is a hatzala all volunteer organization. Their phones are on, you know, I remember as a kid, like seeing on Shabbos, someone with like a, a walkie talkie on his, on his pocket, you know, on his, on his waist. And it'd be like in the middle of davening and show. And all of a sudden it would start going off and he would like run out in the middle of davening. And to me, it was like, so absurd, like how could you do this? Um, so they started this a long time ago. That Hatsala did come to the airport because there was a woman at the airport online with my father-in-law, who actually is also from Hollywood, Florida, and she knew who my father-in-law was. She didn't know him well, and she saw him fall down and she ran over there. She called Hatsala immediately, and then she also called my mother-in-law, which was good because otherwise my mother-in-law wouldn't have found out, she wouldn't have gotten on the plane in time even to come. Hatsala told my mother-in-law. That it was it would, the word that they used is gluyim, which means revealed revealed miracles that, that he actually survived this because if it would have happened you know a little bit before or on the plane it would have, it wouldn't have really been too much hope. So uh, we're definitely grateful for that and hopefully hopefully like you said, Chuck, that there will be you know the miracles of modern technology which are not revealed miracles or hidden miracles hopefully that will also uh, help him with a, a complete uh, healing. Okay. So to continue what we were doing last night, so we were talking about the idea that really in this entire letter was referring to the fact that we get the Torah in the desert, right? Now, it then continues and says, get the Torah in the desert to symbolize the fact that this is not about, this is a a people that is not about a land. Well, then why do we need to go into a land at all, right? Why can we just skip going into a land, right? Essentially, that's what he's addressing. Why do we need to be present in the land of Israel? Why do we need to be tied to a specific land? Why is that necessary? So he addressed that and said that the purpose is so that we could teach the rest of the world what happens when people are doing the correct thing, how Hashem will shower them with sustenance and material blessings in a way that will make it clear that to pursue and make it the, the rat race is the only goal of life, right? To just get a lot, a lot of possessions and to have a lot, a lot of money, that is the wrong attitude. And the way that this will become clear is that it will be abundantly clear that not it's not gonna be dependent on how much the Jews are doing a good job in going to business school in terms of their material success, but rather it will be dependent on how much they do the right thing in the spiritual sphere. Now, now to be clear, this only held true when we're in a time period in which Hashem's presence is more open. Right, So it's not as much true when it's no longer in that time period. But the initial plan, that's how it was meant to be. And therefore, the land and the prosperity institutions of statehood were to be put to Yisrael's disposal, not as goals in themselves, but as means for the fulfillment of the Torah. Now, the footnote number eight, they were all granted to Israel on one and only one condition that it would indeed fulfill the Torah. Okay, so let's look now at page 122 at that footnote on one condition that they keep the Torah. Even though the existence and nationhood of the Jewish people do not depend on the possession of land and state, the land of Israel has a crucial role to play as the Jew seeks to fulfill his divine mission. Following in the footsteps of the Ramban, Rabbi Shem Shonafal Hirsch stresses that the land was to be received by the Jewish people for the realization of its national ideal, a state ruled by God's law. He, what he's addressing is the, not, not really, an, um, it's a larger topic than we have time for right now, but in terms of what the purpose of the land of Israel is, uh, the Ramban believes, uh, the Ramban Nachmanides believes that it has to do with there's a specific place in, in the world where Hashem, for whatever reason, Hashem's presence is more closely felt, right? So it actually is super important to actually be in the land of Israel. It's not just, well, if you're in the land of Israel, then you can fulfill a certain mitzvot. No, it's not that. It's, there is actually a presence of Hashem that is closer in the land of Israel, okay? As mentioned previously, Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, was to be a Eden for a people serving God. It was to be the Garden of Eden. And in return, receiving the divine blessings of material and spiritual prosperity. On the other hand, if the Jewish people fail to live up to its duties, divine providence, which is particularly manifest in this land, what he's referring to is a quote from the Torah, where the Torah says that the land of Israel is a land where God's eyes are on from the beginning of the year till the end of the year, right? It's a, it's a quote that we find, we don't find about any other land, specifically about the land of Israel would cause it to become barren and desolate of its inhabitants who would be exiled. Okay? Now this Jewish land in its prosperity and in its ruin is the pledge of the special historical position of Israel on earth. The divinely promised land can only be visualized in context with the covenant of Abraham and the Torah, right? This idea, by the way, this idea that the Torah itself causes the land will be barren and people will say, look what happened to this people, the Jewish people that they had to get kicked out. We see this come true in our own times, right? There's a famous letter that Mark Twain writes from the land of Israel in the 1890s talking about how incredibly desolate it is and there's nothing and it's a, it's a wasteland, right? A total wasteland with some, some Bedouin you know, sheep herders, right? And, and look at what it is today, right? The, 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 the land of Israel has the potential to be this or to be that. And what the Torah is telling us is that's really dependent on our actions. And that once again is a feature, not a bug because it is a way to show the world that material prosperity is dependent on Hashem, conditionally giving us this prosperity if we're going to use it properly. If you're not going to use it properly, then on the opposite, on the contrary, Hashem does not want us to receive that. And he wants to through that to teach the nations of the world, this is what happens when you don't listen to Hashem. That the fate of Eretz Yisrael depends on our obedience to God, rather than on political power and military might, is shown not only by the fact that in due course, we were exiled from our land because of our sins, but also by the fact that we were given a number of mitzvot that particularly tested our trust in God rather than in military and economic calculations. Thus, we were told to gather every seventh year in Jerusalem, for Hakel. right? So every single person in the land of Israel would travel up to Jerusalem every seven years on the last day of Sukkot. And they would leave the land open to enemy attack. Right? There was nobody guarding. There was nobody left behind. They would have to leave their fields fallow in Shemitah and Yoval, in the sabbatical year and in the Jubilee year. The lands cannot be harvested. They can't be, shouldn't say that. They could be harvested, not in a typical way, but they cannot be planted. They cannot be taken care of in the way that they would be taken care of in a typical year. Indeed, the failure to observe the Shemitah laws is linked by the Torah to the years of exile imposed upon the Jews. While it is desolate, it shall keep Shabbat which it did not keep when you dwelt on it. And a fascinating idea, the Torah itself tells us, if we, do, if we keep the Shemitah laws, the sabbatical laws, and we don't plow the land and we don't plant in the land, we will see incredible prosperity that cannot be believed. Right? And there are even stories today where you have a farmer who's keeping Shemitah and he ends up having these miraculous, you know, being saved from like a farmer next door who's not keeping the Shemitah laws. But the Torah tells us when you don't keep the Shemitah laws, the land will become desolate. The Ramban points out, I think he makes a calculation, the 70 years of exile between the first temple and second temple period, they, rep- they reflect the fact of how many Shemitah years we did not keep properly and how many Jubilee years we did not keep properly in between the time when we came into the land of Israel till we got exiled. And the Ramban says that's exactly reflected in the 70 years of exile, that the land should be desolate. Well, the history of the Jewish people in general is meant to show that our fate is determined not by our material power, but by our loyalty to God and Torah. This is particularly demonstrated in our eventful relationship to the Holy Land, right? So this is true in general, and it is super, it is exponentially revealed in the specific land that is a more open manifestation of God's presence. Well, then in that land, we're going to have far greater consequences for when we do keep the Torah properly and when we don't keep the Torah properly, okay? Thus, Eretz Yisrael and Israel's mission are closely linked. Land and people belong intimately together. Neither really blossoms without the other. This is in the collective works. Even though we have been exiled, Eretz Yisrael has clearly remained the center for the Jewish people, the land of promise. Our eyes are turned in prayer to the place in Zion where the Shechina dwelt once long ago. Right? When we pray every day, no matter where we live, we turn the direction of Jerusalem right? when we face Jerusalem the place to which God promised that he would one day cause the Shechina to return. This is the place which will remain the eternal fount of inspired homage to God and his law for all our future generations. Even the desolate site of our sanctuary remains a throne of glory, of a grandeur and might much greater than the original temple. See also Chorib, where Rabbi Shamschner Falhersh points out that Ezra's sanctification of the Holy Land has not lapsed because it was not contingent on political independence, but on the spiritual role Okay, we're going to get to this in letter nine, an interesting point. And so we have always prayed for a speedy return to the Holy Land. It is only in our own ancient homeland that we will find the peace which has been denied us away from it. It should be clear, of course, that our eagerness for the return to Zion has never been due to a desire for political independence and material prosperity as ends in themselves, but to our longing to regain the closeness to God's presence that the temple, the sanctuary of the Torah, the seat of God and the divine word provided in collected works. This is Rev Hirsch coming to address that in the early stages of the reform movement, when they were making smaller incremental changes to the liturgy and in general, what they wanted to remove is, you don't have to that we look to Jerusalem, that Hashem should rebuild Jerusalem. We don't need Jerusalem. Germany is our Jerusalem, right? That was their attitude. So Rev Hirsch is explaining, you're completely missing the boat. It's not about material prosperity. It's not about independence. It's not a political reality. It is a spiritual reality that cannot be satisfied yet. And some people would suggest today that maybe we don't need to say nachem, right? In other words, on Tisha B'Av, we don't need to say a special prayer. In a special prayer, we say Jerusalem lies desolate. And this prayer goes back to the destruction of the second temple. We don't need to say that because it's no longer desolate. But the answer of course is it might not be desolate but it is not a land that is ruled by hashem's law as as we heard this week and it is not a land that has the open presence of god so it is completely desolate in that fashion it is not desolate in terms of it does have settlement it does have civilization and it does have the the um the word that we use is um the beginning of the flowering of the redemption but it's not there yet and for that we still pray 3 times a day to reach that level where we could once again live in that land fulfill the will and show the rest of the world what happens when we are doing so as a people. Okay. Take care, everyone. Have a great Shabbos.